Welcome to Category 5 Technology TV. Now, welcome also to Season 13. This Hello. is our first episode of the season, and this week we're going to be looking at a, gener a general adversarial network that creates images of people that we can use in our like as stock photos, and they're so giving them away. They're not real people? They're not real people, but a lot of them look like real people. I'm going to show you all about that in just a couple of moments' time. Also, I've got a device that is going to allow us to monitor the temperature in our server room, our computers, and wherever we place this thing. And it's no bigger than a USB flash drive. I'm going to show you how you can use that and generate some output that you can use in your own coding on Linux. Stick around. Recordings are trusted only to solid-state drives by Kingston Technology. Revive your computer with improved performance and reliability over traditional hard drives with Kingston SSDs. Category 5 TV streams live with Telestream Wirecast and Nimble Streamer. Tune in every week on Roku, Kodi, Plex, and other HLS video players. For local showtimes, visit Category5.tv. Category5.tv is a member of the Tech Podcast Network. If it's tech, it's here. Cat5.tv slash TPN and the International Association of Internet Broadcasters. Cat5.tv slash IAIB. Welcome to the show, everybody. Welcome to season 13. Yay. Lucky number 13. Yay. 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 We're like, do we skip it like an elevator? Is it 12B? Is it just 14? 12.5? <laughs> no, here we are. It's season 13, episode number 626. Welcome to the show, everybody. Yeah, we've got a great show planned for you. Before we get into it, though, I want to remind you to subscribe to us on YouTube. If you haven't already done so, make sure you click that bell as well. That's going to make sure that you get those notifications. You mentioned you got a notification just before the show. What did mm -hmm. it say? Oh, actually, it was Facebook. It was Facebook. Oh, I got, well, I got do one. that she too. Got the, I, got the you got the YouTube one. Yes. Uh, some of our viewers received that YouTube ping. Because uh, when you click that bell, YouTube will inform you when we go live. Uh, and incidentally, Facebook will do the same. Yes. So uh, if you are a Facebook user, you can do that as well. Follow our Facebook page, which you'll find at cat5.tv slash Facebook. It's a quick way to get there or just search for us on Facebook. Well, we've looked into general adversarial networks in the past. So this is where artificial intelligence is being used to generate people, generally. Uh, I mean, generally, mm -hmm. it's being used to create people. people. Are we talking like yes. woman in the red dress from the Matrix? No, Jeff. <laughs> no, it took me a second. I'm like, no, <laughs> this isn't like that, Jeff. No, this is... So we're talking um, the ability for AI to take a subset of photographs and say, okay, this is what a human looks like. Right. And then the GAN, General Adversarial Network, the AI, is then able to create what looks like people. Humans, yeah. But they're not real people. They're not real people. So... We've looked at them in the past. Here's an interesting twist for you. Okay. Generated dot photos is the website. Now, think about this for a second. Okay. We've all heard of iStock Photo. We've yes. all heard of their Getty Images, the parent company of iStock. And if we've ever done any design work, if we've ever built websites, we 
tap into those kinds of resources and, and Shutterstock and all these yeah, different... The stock photos. Yeah, and, because yeah. we need... I don't have a photography studio and 65 different models that I can tap into to be able to get the right photo for my product. So... I tap into those and I pay through the teeth sometimes <laughs> to get the... To get other people's shiny teeth smiling on your website. Yeah, because <laughs> one, the model is a human being, a person. Right. And that human being, that person has to be compensated. I so there are fees to pay the model. And, and that's like a... Usually that's like a blanket fee to the studio. Mm -hmm. And so that's incorporated into that pricing. Then there's licensing fees. So the photographer, the studio itself has incorporated licensing fees into the sale of the photo so that I'm now allowed to use that photograph for my project. Whether it's a product box shot, whether it's my website, whether it's an advertisement, whether it's a billboard, mm -hmm. I am able to purchase photos that have people in them and use those hopefully royalty free but it costs me a fair bit of money yes mm -hmm. well okay back up just for a second here and we i started this by saying we've all heard about gam you planted the seed so i feel yeah. like i know the answer so generated okay. dot photos is well the group there there are about 20 people in the company who they they run a photography studio right mm -hmm. so they are very experienced with photography and model shots and mm -hmm. and they understand the whole issue with uh with model um compensation with model um uh like being like they have to sign off on it the contracts and yeah, it yeah. is kind of like a contract so if a model comes into my studio and i take their picture if they have not authorized me to now sell their photo as a stock photo i'm not allowed to do that as the studio right. so the studio has to compensate them in order to do that right. so it's this vicious i mean not vicious i mean everyone's got to get paid everyone's got got to have you know you got to have work right this is the way the cookie crumbles this That's is why things is. cost money is because it starts there yeah and what yeah. Com what comes from that I'm thinking about I'm, my spin right now is the money, right? How much yeah. does it cost me to, to get the licensing for these photos? There's another twist to this. Mm -hmm. Who are the models? And I don't mean the people, but I mean, generally speaking, the models are the beautiful people. Right. Right? The most beautiful people, the, the ones that media has said, these are the, the ones that we want to take photographs of. Mm -hmm. Right. This is this is what we end up with as our stock photos. Right. What if general adversarial networks, so AI, which is completely unbiased toward beauty, which doesn't judge or um, look at photographs and say, oh, well, I don't like her hair. Again, doesn't do that. Again, just says, does it look like a human? Does it not look like a human? Yep, that's a human. Let's do some stuff. I would love to, like, upload Picasso and see what happens with the game. <laughs> I don't know that that will work out very well in the case like of a general human. adversarial network. So, generated.photos, let's hop over there. So, what I'm alluding to is that this studio has said, wait a second, what if we could do away with the contract? What if we could create human models who are not human human stock photography of people who do not exist i like this of course See, 
I get to, I get to challenge that notion though. No. Because it's don't. made up of the bits and pieces of the people. No, not not in the traditional sense. You're thinking like I'm going to take Sasha's eyes and put them on Jeff's face and take no, Jeff's no, no, beard. No, no, no. And but I mean, the no, the people no. are the base for what created these images. So I still think you can't completely remove people from it. But if you could then take the generated images and use those to generate more images, then you've got a point. Sure. And, and it stems from that. So, okay, so understand how GAN works. So I, I know where you're going with that. Right. But what GAN does is it takes uh, 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 however many photos you can throw at it, and it uses those not to copy, like you're thinking, okay. but to learn. This is artificial oh, intelligence. Okay. So when I look at a photograph... I can see that's a person. Yes. When I see a picture of a person with a beard, I can see that's a person with a beard. Right. I know that because I have that intelligence. Now, artificial intelligence is now at the point with general adversarial networks that can look at those photos and say, oh, that's what a beard looks like. Oh, there's another beard. Okay, I understand now. Let's create a new human based on the knowledge that I've acquired from these source images. So I'm not taking the source images and yeah. reusing them. No, I'm learning from the source images what things are, how eyes look. What does it look like if, if a person has, you know, this type of ears? And, and why do they have those types of ears? And, and, and those kinds of things. Right. So it's actually learning and then generating creating something new based on the things that it's learned very cool so you know how some people are like funny looking yeah you know like some people have like <clears throat> a nose that's too big for their face or okay. something right so what are you again, saying would again ever why do are that? you looking at would me? again make a funny face person that's or what's amazing they... about it is that the gan doesn't judge Okay. I, I so know. think about that from a from a model standpoint. So gone are with Gan. Gone are the days of our bias being toward this particular model type. Right. I, I use the phrase the beautiful people, but that that is what media has created. So the Gan doesn't care about that. So the Gan makes beautiful ordinary looking people. Sure. Ordinary, but normal, I, normal what I people. Just know normal is, are people. the people's like features always proportionate? Because human beings' features aren't always proportionate. Not necessarily. No. Okay, this is you good. You want to know okay, if it's going to create a Quasimodo? No, I want to know that it's going to create like like realistic. Uh, yeah, like I have a mole on my nose. I do not like it. But would the Gan just never put a mole on somebody? No, I think it would. It would. Okay. Just, okay. Because it learns from that, so it'll look at some photos and say, oh. Okay, I, some I see. Have some, a mole. Yeah, yeah. So let's generate something, someone that oh, okay. has those features. I wonder uh, how many of them got freckles. Exactly. Right. Okay. So, so all that to say, this studio that takes photos, so they're a photography studio, and they're also programmers and geniuses, and they know, you know, they they understand what uh, what this technology is capable of. Their studio took. 29,000 photos wow. over the course of the last two years. Now, what's interesting about that, think about this for a second, it's a controlled environment. So the lighting is always the same, the backdrop is the same or similar, the cameras are probably the same cameras. So, so there's a very controlled set of 29,000 images of models, of people, humans, for the GAN to learn from. Hmm. Then so we feed that in. 000. How many images did they come up with then? 100 
thousand faces all generated by AI so let's scroll through generated dot photos and every person that you see here doesn't exist these people are not real huh. really and not only that so here's some examples of the kind of art that you can create. So if you need to create, like, um, billboards and ads for your school and things like that, you're able to use these photos. Photos. I say photos. But they're not. They're images. They're images of people. That aren't people. Can they then... I, I'm asking a question that I feel like I know the answer to. They could age... See, I see children on the screen. Yep. They could take that image, likely, and with just, like, some sort of age enhancement, they could age that image yeah. right through. They, or the GAN, yes. the, the General Adversarial Network, the AI, can say, okay, these are the features, and let's work with those. Yeah, so here neat. we've got a subset of 100,000 images. I'm just going to browse that briefly on Google Drive so you can see what we're actually... The, so what they're providing all here. of their images are on google drive yeah so you can just access that right from their website you can just go right on there That's load it amazing. up so here we go let's uh let's change this to thumbnail view and these are available for you absolutely free so as long as you're now there is a caveat right now these are licensed for non-commercial use so okay. if, you're doing, if you're using them for school, if you're using them for uh, your own personal website, your blog, those kinds of things, um, currently it's licensed for personal use only. So do keep that in mind. Maybe message them if you want to use their images for, for uh, anything that's commercial. Right. right. Okay. But it's a proof of concept that's showing that this is going to be a possibility. Just a quick scroll here. Now, I'm interested in that second row, that yeah. one... Uh, picture they have a headdress or something so does mm -hmm. the the ai generate the ai generated a, a headdress, like a headdress of sorts. as well yeah that's wild yeah so not only people it can generate accessories sure yeah like this this lady here i'll call oh, her a lady earrings. she has earrings yeah huh. and and you see that they don't all come out looking <laughs> like now that's it's interesting how the GAN will s sometimes generate something. That's, there's something a little off. Yeah. Sometimes you see something that's a little off. And I love that those have been included as well. Yes. But what they've done, like here's one, I don't know what's happened to his head there. <laughs> right? Like sometimes. He's got like, he's there, there's something got a nostril there. in his forehead. Something and like his that. One eye he's is like, like cyclopsy. He's got like the Sylvester Stallone eye. That's fine. Well, this answers my question. So, but somebody in in Photoshop or GIMP could fix the 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 um, error, right. if you will, on the head. But for some reason, the AI said, "Okay, that's a feature of some people's heads." So, so it's learning, and it's important to realize that this technology is new. That's not a real person. Right. This technology is something that is growing and evolving and learning. So, as it grows, as it learns these photos are going to become more and more realistic. Right. To the point where the, the group from Generated.Photos is saying, like, hey, this could be used in multimedia. Imagine if this technology... We've talked about using GAN in video games. Like, we all would love to have an avatar that looks like us. Or generate uh, an avatar. You guys do. Orville. 
Yeah, but I'm saying, like, imagine if you could take the uh, the GAN and have it regenerate you in a game digitally. Right. That without some cool. a human having to do that, right? Um, but what if, this is what the team has said, what if you could actually take this technology and they could create TV shows, say Netflix, for example, where a couple of the characters within the TV show are GAN generated. So as right. you're watching it, it ties into your library and creates, so, so there's a flip side of this. Mm-hmm. Yes, it can create fake humans, humans that are not actually real people, but the GAN can also take a real human, so a photo of my face, and put it on a dummy model in the TV show. Right. So it can create what looks like a real person. So it could look like Jeff, it could look like Sasha, or it could look like Robbie. And so now I could be sitting down in in front of my TV, we could be watching a movie with my kids, and all of a sudden in walks me on the set. Right. On the the movie, because they could create movies where some of the characters are no, they're basically like blanks. Right. And then it taps into my own resources, my own, I could load my own GAN images into the system, and it will place me within that multimedia, yeah. within that content. Totally okay. That's Until it's a horror cool. flick. That, <laughs> that kind of messes now, with it. <laughs> I mean, when you close down that image and go yeah. to the... Okay. I, I want to see... The thumbnails? This yeah. is just the first group. Okay, this one with the little girl, and it looks like yeah. the mom. Okay. So you see what's happened so, over here with the Klingon? That's okay, so that's what I was going to say. It looks like she's hanging out with something out of Star Trek. Which right. Which makes me go, could we use GAN to start producing sci-fi? New types of aliens. Like, oh my gosh, how cool would that be? Or could they use this for pets? Sure. Like, to generate new animals. GAN like, generated Like, hey, pets. here's my dog. Sure. Yeah. It's a sheep-poo We're looking. That person beside the daughter... Is a glitch. Looks kind of like a human pug combo. <laughs> it kind of, the, the, see, the, you can tell that the GAN was not sure what to do with this fact that it was creating two humans right. on the same canvas. But I mean, the fact that wow. they only had 29,000 images to work with, and yeah. now you're getting 100,000 images, like, that's impressive. Yeah. So you're going to have bugs, but so you clear those out of the system and go, okay, fine. Yep. Now, interestingly enough, looking through these photos, I will say, I think Sasha was onto something. What's that? With the fact that these are all generally nice-looking people. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't think I saw anywhere in there somebody who was quite largely obese. I didn't see anybody with like sure fire burn marks on their face. Yeah, and you can anything. say that, and you can also say, um, you know, I'm not seeing any Asians. Um, Maybe a couple that have some Asian influence. Everybody seems They're, very proportioned is the okay. thing. Like, there doesn't right. seem to be like... So we can say those things. Yeah, so I wonder the, if the GAN then knows. Like, if your face is this big, your ears are likely this big. And then, sure. so they'll create okay. ears for you that actually fit your face. Yeah. Because they they didn't get pictures of people with ridiculously big ears. Right. Sure. Right. But this is yeah, like yeah. a, a so this bit of a neat. playoff of a artist project that I remember seeing about two years ago, uh-huh. where uh, um, a photographer took I want to say it was at least a hundred images of every nationality. Awesome. And superimposed them so you can kind of get a general sense of what each country's typical. Look was like yes. So using something like that, I could totally see how you could start developing images from other countries. Sure. Uh, yeah. Rather than I'm going to say the typical probably American. Sure. 
No, and I, and I hear what you're saying, but let's let's not get ahead of your first comment. Where okay, there's I, I'm not seeing anyone who is obese. Uh, so let's let's just back up for a moment and just remember that the way that the GAN learns is through the source material. Right. So yeah. we have two years worth of photos. The studio has two years worth of photos of people who have come in and, sign, and signed off and signed off on this project and have said, yes, I'll, I'll participate in this. Yeah. Right. So... I want my have face they, to be one of the faces. Let's, let's hook you up. Let's, want, let's make I that happen. I want my face to be... Generated.photos, can we make this happen? A so factor. I'll take, still, this is really cool. So, so understand, with, that, with those source images, right, that's all that the GAN has seen yeah, exactly. so far. Think about, it has never seen, potentially, I'm not saying it hasn't, but let's just pretend... The GAN, the artificial intelligence in its life, has never seen an obese person. Right, so it wouldn't know. If that's the case, when it generates fake people, it's not going to know what an obese person looks like to, to create it. Right. So as this project grows, as they train it even more, as it, as it learns, it's going to become that. It's going to yeah. learn more and more and more. It's cool. And that's their goal. Right now, this is like brand new, just released, just made available to you, and it's astonishing what they've been able to achieve. Oh, yeah, We're going I'm to see away. it grow. It's incredible. We're going to see that grow this. over the next little while, the, for the sure. One, I, I will say, when I look at all these photos, what yeah. impresses me the most is the hair. Yeah. Like, despite, yeah. you know, getting some odd features of the faces and stuff, mm-hmm. the hair all looks hair very realistic. Like, spot yeah. on. It's crazy. So that brings me to my next point. Why are there no baldies? The Gan doesn't know bald exists. There was a bald guy. I did was there? Bald guy. Yeah, yeah. Go oh, up It nice. was a really huge bald head, but there was a bald guy. <laughs> uh, I want to say he was somewhere around here. Okay. Well, we'll just there, keep there scrolling. If guy. you find the bald guy among the 100,000 photos, pictures on generated.photos, please point him out to me. Huh. That would be fantastic. Um, so, I mean, how cool is it that they're able to, that they've chosen to now use that technology to, um, to give away free stock photos. So backing up just a second here, all of those, you may not have again, you may not have access to an artificial intelligence. They have created this repository for you. Generated.photos. Read all about it. Download the images. Pick the ones that you want to use. And those are there for you. So you could essentially use the AI with your own family photos to start generating photos. No, not yet. Oh, okay. Right, na- right now, like, it's, That's amazing. it's 100,000 photos that the GAN that they have has created. Okay. Uh, they are, and, and, I, and I, wasn't even, I wasn't sure if we were going to talk about this, but just so you know, Jeff, nobody else is here. Hey. Okay. Shh, go away, Sasha. They are working on developing software, which is going to be a part of the project that may allow folks to be able to create their own GAN-generated images based on specifications that they provide. You remember, cool. you know what it's like in an MMO when you're setting yeah. up your character and you set, you know, the different proportions and the, yeah. di- you know, how how high you want them, their shoulders to be, and all this stuff. You'll be able to do those things within oh, that. That's cool. So, but again, this is the very base. That's it's very just cool. been released at generated.photos. Learn more uh, right there. Uh, we do have to take a really quick break. When we come back, though, we're going to be looking at how we can tell the temperature of the room 
the temperature of our devices, all from a little USB flash drive-like stick. Ooh. Stick around. Just before the break, I mentioned that we're going to be looking at a way that we can tell the temperature. It sounds so, like, not exciting, right? Like, everybody has a thermometer. You can grab one at the dollar store and you know what the temperature is. You can ask your Amazon Echo what the temperature is outside. But what if you've got a server room? Or, like, a computer room that you don't always frequent? Okay, do you remember the server room at the radio station i do that room was crazy hot all oh the time. yes we had to leave yep. the door open so yes that as soon as you said oh server room i'm like oh, i remember that room yeah the server room if it doesn't have proper air conditioning oh, or what if the air conditioning goes down like Studio i mean T. just quick yeah <laughs> quick examples right um or what if you've got a like a device that you want to be able to monitor the temperature of so what we're looking at today is a product called temper and it literally when i said it looks like a usb flash drive it literally does like you probably wouldn't be able to know the difference between that and a usb flash drive now what is cool about this is you see this little screw hole um, it can be mounted flush and screwed into a device oh cool and then it's going to actually register because the sensor is on the bottom here and it is a metal casing uh, it's going to be able to register the temperature of the device so do keep that in mind if this is going to be sitting on a desk it's going to be registering the temperature of the desk right Similarly, it's conductive. The, the heat is conductive on it. So if you're plugging this in directly into a server, you're not only going to be registering some of the room ambient temperature, but you're also going to be registering some of the heat coming off of the server itself. Right. Yes. Right? So it's important to just grab yourself uh, this little guy here. So you've got... Oh, boy. What have I done? What, what is that? I pulled it apart. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. It's all good. Uh, so what I've got is a like a little six-inch USB extender. Yep. Reason for that is if I plug this into my server, it can kind of hang there. Oh, that way you're yes. not getting the temperature from in. It's like, not going to grab yeah. the temperature from the USB bus. Similarly, if you want to mount it on the surface of a device, you can mount it there and plug it into a reader. Maybe you've got a 10-foot uh, USB extension cord, for example. That would, that would work as well. Yes. So we're looking specifically at... Linux um, okay. using the temper device. The temper device can be purchased at cat5.tv slash temper. And I say that because I want you to be able to find it. It is under $20. Okay. Really? Yeah. So this is like a really quick, cheap and cheerful. It's not DIY. You don't have to buy a bunch of Arduino parts and solder everything together and figure out how it goes and then create the firmware. No, it's all ready to go out of the box for under 20 bucks. And you can just plug it into USB. Um, it is waterproof as well. So if you want to use it for your weather station, it's going to work perfectly. Mm -hmm. Oh, for that waterproof that isn't is like great. rain hitting it not yeah. submerging your fish well tank. i don't know that i would put it in the <laughs> fish tank i mean because it is connected to a five volt cable but uh <laughs> you, have no fish. you could definitely fish use it supper. but think about like you could you could put this end of it in the soil of your greenhouse for example yes. and measure the temperature of your soil you could uh okay. you could put it in as i say you could put it in the uh in the weather station you don't have to quite worry about the fact that it might get a little bit wet or you can put it outside of the chassis of your weather station mm -hmm. 
it'll pick up the ambient temperature Very as cool. well. Okay. I just pictured going crazy with just having tons of them in the soil in a greenhouse. So you can just, register, okay, those plants are like 20 degrees. This one is one degree different. Tomatoes on, generate heat. Yeah, okay, so on Linux, I'm going to do this, but <clears throat> you can do this on Windows, you can do this on Mac. It's compatible. Interesting features with Windows. It has built-in Excel compatibility. There's like a hotkey. Read the manual, but there's a hotkey you can press that will actually open Excel and create a spreadsheet with the temperature data. Really? Yeah, it's all automatic. It's all built in. So how, how long cool. does it keep the data for? I don't know that, Jeff. I don't use Windows. I'm saying read the manual and check that out. It's on there. It has Just that feature. I will do this on Linux because I want to actually use this to code my own products my right. own whether yeah. i want to use this to um for my nagio server oh, nems yeah. linux right if i want to monitor the server room and have it send me an email alert if the server room gets too hot or too cold mm, what if true. what if the ac uh vent has been frozen open in the winter here in canada yeah you don't want that and it's like minus 10 in the server room well i want to know about that but i don't go in the server room every day right mm -hmm. so those kinds of things could be done. So on my Linux machine here, I'm just going to, I'm going to simply, well, first of all, I'm going to type um, LS USB, and that shows me what USB devices are currently detected. And then I'm going to plug this in to my USB port with the extension cord and type LS USB again. And I see that a new device has popped in here and it doesn't have a name, but you can see I did that just so that you can see the difference between the two checks. And Why I've got- throw it up on the screen so they can see the difference. Oh, you can't see that? Oh, that, thank you, Jeff. You guys probably <laughs> wanted to see that, right? <laughs> First check is up here before I plugged it in. Second check after I plugged it in is right here. There it is. And so that's the new device. That's the new device. Well, how do I work with that? right? It's called Temper, and being that I'm on Linux, I can tap into any number of resources, but there are some great projects already created for it, and that's what I'm going to do. Now, I'm in the Temp folder, which I'm, uh, you know, maybe I'm going to go into my home folder uh, to do this, because I want to be able to access this down the road, get out of my Temp folder, because I don't want to lose it when I reboot. And let's clone. So I'm going to, first of all, I have Git installed, so uh, apt install Git if you don't already have it. Uh, Git clone and here's the repository that I want to clone https colon slash slash github.com slash urwen slash temper and when I hit enter there it's going to clone that it's like instantaneous and if I go in there cd temper now I've got these files here now there's one thing that I'm going to need and I'll show you what happens here if I try to run temper.py it says hey you're missing something the serial for python 3 is missing so I'm going to install that apt install python 3-serial whoa if I spelt python right 3-serial and once that's installed and my temper device is plugged into the computer. Now if I type dot slash temper dot pi, it's going to register the temper gold version 3.1 and it shows me that it's 30.7 degrees Celsius. Oh, so cool. 87.2 uh, degrees Fahrenheit. Does it have like a minimum maximum? Huh. That it Read can, the manual. That it can handle? Yeah. 
It does. Um, the max. Now that is a. That's an interesting question, and I didn't. I didn't plan for this. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm gonna go cat five dot tv slash temper. I ask it. He goes read the manual, Jeff. Sasha asks. He's like, let me look. Because that, that was a you. Windows question. This is a legit. <laughs> yes, there are mins and maxes. Uh, let's see. Okay, so this is the temper device. Let's see here, real quick. Cat five dot tv slash temper. I believe is the link. And it's not working for me right now, but I'm going to oh. fix that. Well, accu- accurately read the temperature from minus 55 to 120. Oh, you actually have the answer for this? You have now. the answer okay, in yep. front of you? Yeah, I do. What does it say, Sasha? Okay. Well, accurately read the temperature from negative 55 to 125 degrees Celsius or minus 27 to 257 degrees Fahrenheit. Wow. Bingo, oh, that's bingo. even wider than I was expecting. What I love about that conversation is you wrote the show notes, so you looked it up, and you're like, I have no clue. Sasha's no. got the show notes in front of her. She's like, what's the temperature? I have no clue. She asked the question. She's got the answer right in front of her. Oh, that was just So now you know. So Now we know. This the, is an important thing to know. So the yeah. answer is minus 55 degrees Celsius. That's cold. To yeah. 125 degrees Celsius. That's hot. Yeah. yeah. Look at that in Fahrenheit. Minus 67 to 257 degrees Fahrenheit. So I'm picturing the only time it would be minus 55 degrees Celsius is if you were in the Arctic. I feel like that's the only time it would ever get that cold. It would yeah. Have, yeah, you'd have to be pretty close and to the Arctic circles. It but would I, not get to 125 and still <laughs> be able to talk about it outside. So uh, hasn't, uh, hasn't temperatures been like 140? Celsius? No. Oh, yeah, Celsius. I'm thinking Fahrenheit. Yeah. In a <laughs> Can you imagine 140 yeah. Celsius? It's wow. That's the boiling point of water. Okay, I'm going to jump back to okay. this, guys. Okay. I'm back in my, in my terminal here. Yes. And we see that the output there, it shows the bus. It shows the temper gold version 3.1. That's the version, the model of the device that I have. And it shows the temperature. Well, I'm a programmer. I want to take it one step further. I want to do more. Yes. I want to parse data. I want to know the actual readings from this device. So instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to type dot slash temper dot pi, and then I'm going to do this. Watch. Dot dash dash JSON. J-S-O-N. And watch what happens. Boom. There's my JSON response from the device. So I can now pull not only the firmware, so I know what firmware I have installed. I've got the hexadecimal value of the firmware. I've got hexadecimal data. But I've also got what? Into the thermal data. Ah. So the data is responding in Celsius. Okay. So we can see it's 29.27 degrees. It is warm in here. Here in the studio, yes. And so with that data, now I can, I can parse that because it's JSON data. So I can take that into PHP. I can take that into, uh, I can use um, the, like a JSON decoder um, for Bosch for example, on my Linux machine. And now I can start parsing things and and doing really neat things with that data. So I can set up thresholds and I can say, okay, well, if it is 10 degrees Celsius in the studio. Turn on the heat. Or like, let me know, hey, it's really cold there. You need to figure out what's going on. We don't even need to, I suppose I could code something to like interact with my smart home. Yeah. But at least letting me know. Or if it gets to be 32 degrees Celsius, well, there's something wrong with the AC unit. I need to get in there right away and start turning things down or whatever. So that is called the temper device. You can get one at cat5.tv slash temper. What do you think? That is very cool. 
I, I, just, I love that it's it's built. It's ready to go. It's and there's nothing that I need to actually do other than just decide how I want to program it. And you said this syncs up to Nagios as well. But to Sh- sure. I mean, it's compatible with Nems Linux. So you could just plug this into your NEM server and set your thresholds for low and high, right. and it'll send you an email if it's outside of those thresholds. That's very cool. It'll let you know if the temperature comes back to a good temperature. See, yeah. it's stuff like this that I'm going, okay, I'm totally picturing like a smart home yeah. where you've got one of those in all the rooms that hook up to NEMS that logs all the information sure. with a computer or like a Raspberry Pi or something that's uh-huh. got a speaker right beside, say, an echo device mm-hmm. where you've got some pre-recorded things where it's like turn the volume or turn the heat on in this room. Oh my goodness. Like or- could you imagine how so it automatically <laughs> temperature controls your house. He's can you imagine so you could use the speaker to control Amazon Echo. Right. That would or be so you could crazy. Use that would be neat. You could use it for a sensor for safety reasons too. Have it close to the stove so it alerts you when the stove is left hot. on. Yeah, or Ooh. or when it's cool again, yeah. you know? If the wine fridge is a little bit too warm. Right. Right? right. You don't want to go if it gets to too warm. For that. Or <laughs> you could set it up so that it senses in your shower so that you know when to step in because the water is perfect. Oh, wow. Now we're talking. That is nice. Please don't run electrical cables into your shower, folks. Don't listen to Sasha. Don't listen to it. It's waterproof. It's though. waterproof, but your wiring might not be. <laughs> right. Just wrap it it's in only electrical five tape. It's fine. <laughs> is that how it works? Wow. wow. Okay. <laughs> and all of the water conservationists are like, oh, Sasha. You've done it wrong. You've done it wrong. All right. Well, if Still, that's very cool. Thank you. I yeah. Know. Get one. Go okay, check them out. If that's what yeah. season 13 is going to have, I'm just like blown away. I'm excited. I love the Jason output. That's cool. It just takes that and says, I can do anything with it. Anything at all. There's so, no limit. Okay, so I have to know, though, you said that the Excel output only works on Windows. It doesn't work on I don't Linux. Know. I don't care about that kind of stuff, Jeff. That's like those features that are like, ooh, it does something out of the box that... You'll never use. I like that stuff. I'll never use. If you're a Windows user and you want to plug it in and open an Excel spreadsheet and let it populate with temperatures... To say the average It has that feature. I am intrigued that it has JSON output. That's what I care about. I can I'm log just a that. Simple mind, man. I can log that to a log file. You're making line after line. I can take this. So I'm going to plug this back in, and like I'm talking, like even just on the simple, right? So let's run. Okay, so now I'm going to grep that internal space temp, and now I'm just going to get the internal temperature, right? So that's all my output is, internal temperature. So now I can go, like, watch. Oh, I can't grep with watch. Um, but I could do, let's remove the J. I could just have watch running like that, right? How about something like that? There's just no limits to what you can do, that's all. That's it. Just yeah. no limits. Okay, but still, the fact that you put the watch in there, like, I'm thinking... You know what? I'm just going to be quiet because uh, as weird as it sounds, this little thing has suddenly got the wheels in my brain turning. And I'm like, there's so many options. <laughs> you just want to code. Get coding, Jeff. That's it. Picturing like smart mirrors in the house. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. yes. What's the coolest 
DIY maker project that you've done. Now, this is not really a maker project because it's already made. Well, could it though? But become, it can inspire. It could become a maker project. You could sure use whatever this you plug it into. Launch into something different. Sure, you could. The right. coolest yeah. one I've seen. Uh, I want to say came out about three years ago. I, yeah, I took a touchscreen TV. Yeah, and turned it into a mirror in his uh, bathroom with. The projection screen and a Raspberry Pi that showed the weather for the day, upcoming yeah. events on his calendar, all this kind of stuff. But because it was touchscreen, he could move stuff around. I was like, "Oh, nice! That, like that's just awesome." And the great I'm picturing part was, all the streaks all over the mirror. Oh, yeah. The cool part was he gave the instructions on how to do it, so you oh, can make really it at home. And I was like, "Yeah, I like that guy." That's the maker community, and I just haven't done it. Yeah, <laughs> oh, it's a lot of work, and that's what I mean when I say like you don't have to do any soldering with this. It's already built. You just can buy it, and it works. So, hey, check it out: cat5.tv/temper. But we do have to move on because it's time. <gasps> it's time. It's time to jump over to the category 5.tv newsroom. Here are the stories we're covering this week in the Category 5.TV newsroom. Chipotle Mexican Grill has been leaving money on the table thanks to an apparent bug in the restaurant chain's e-commerce operation. Payment card thieves have hacked the click-to-gov bill-paying portals in eight cities. The German Ministry of the Interior wants to take back control of their digital sovereignty cutting dependency on Microsoft and looking for alternatives. And an anonymous bug hunter has publicly disclosed a zero-day flaw in the popular vBulletin forum software that can be exploited over the internet to hijack servers. These stories are coming right up. Don't go anywhere. This is the Category 5.TV Newsroom, covering the week's top tech stories with a slight Linux bias. I'm Sasha Rickman, and here are the top stories we're following this week. Chipotle Mexican Grill has been leaving money on the table thanks to an apparent bug in the restaurant chain's e-commerce operation. Last week, Jason Grigsby, co-founder of app development from Cloud4, published his analysis of the eatery's online order form. The web page code, he claims, contains an error that he estimates is costing the company millions in lost sales. While attempting to submit an order, Grigsby encountered two error messages, one indicating that the website had been unable to save his credit card number, despite having not checked the box to allow this, and the other being a general submission error. The errors happened every time he tried to use his browser's autofill capability, but not when the data was entered manually. Upon further scrutiny, he noticed that his credit card's expiration date kept being changed after the date was filled in. Based on Chipotle's publicly reported average order value of $16 to $17 and assuming that fixing autofill would increase transactions by half a percentage point, Grigsby estimates that Chipotle could clear an extra $4.4 million in sales annually by eliminating this bug. While he regularly sees problems with autofill on sites, Grigsby says, quote, Chipotle was just a useful example I encountered, and unlike most companies, they happen to have provided some information in their financial reports that made it possible to take a guess, albeit a wild guess, at what the financial impact might be, end quote. Interesting. Okay, so I'm a programmer, so I understand how these kinds of accidental issues can crop up yes. because we can't test every everything right sure. so if i create a form to autofill and it's taking the date of the credit card expiry and it doesn't have proper error handling 
Well, that can cause problems with autofill. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Some and weird from, things. From a programming standpoint, I mean, whoever created that portion of the Chipotle website, mm-hmm. more than likely did it on a business computer. So the likelihood that they're going to have an autofill of their credit card information isn't very high. So yeah. they may not have even have clued into the fact that that's something they should have tested. Yeah. Well, and so. you've got to sandbox everything and you've got to try yeah. everything. And like I do online e-commerce sales all the time. And like I try to guess at what a user may encounter, but I still get a call once in a while saying, I can't fill in the form for some reason. Right. right. When and I then cl- I have to look into it. Yeah. When I click autofill on some things, it, it's wonky. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like it just is. Oh, sure. Yeah. Some websites are. The good thing about this is this guy is now going to get free Chipotle for the rest of his life. Yes. <laughs> oh. So, but it is interesting that from a business standpoint, just a small error like that is potentially costing them Surely. millions of dollars a year. Could be. A year. And it makes you wonder, could this be a learning opportunity for other e-commerce businesses to go, we need to take a look at our programming again because mm. maybe we're missing out on big money. Like, imagine if Amazon had a flaw like this that popped up every once in a while. Yeah. How much money they would lose. Right. See, though, the difference really would be in that if if I wanted to buy something on Amazon, I would find a way to do it. But if I was right. hungry for a meal and Chipotle was causing a little bit of friction, you go somewhere else. I would go somewhere else fast yeah. and easy. Right. Right? So maybe Amazon wouldn't lose out on the sale because people would, you know, why isn't this filling in? I'm going to figure it out. Right. Yeah, that's true. Right? And Amazon is pretty much figured out the process because everything's memorized. Anyways, I just click buy <laughs> and it knows everything about me. Click. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But still, it's but interesting. Yeah. There's tons of money that Chipotle is probably losing out on because people who are hungry mm-hmm. probably now are going to order from like, I don't know, pizza <laughs> or something. As, as the researcher mentioned though, it's, it's just one example of yep. a potential yeah. issue and he's been able to exploit it and, and demonstrate it yeah. and kind of reverse engineer it enough to, to understand what's causing the problem. Yeah. But um, as a consumer myself, like is it my responsibility to maybe like, hey, pick up the phone and call Chipotle? And say, like, hey, I'm trying to place an order here. And you're probably not going to reach the web developer. You're going to reach the guy or gal who's making the the burritos. And they're going to be like, okay, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know, but I'll take the order of the phone. I mean, I had it happen where I was ordering from Papa John's, and the the stupid website couldn't take my order because Becca doesn't eat cheese, and it's not an option. And it's like, (laughs) ah. No cheese is not an option. No. Well, yeah, I'm not even going to get into it. But no, the the particular option that we needed was not compatible with the ordering (laughs) process. So, uh, because I do eat cheese and I eat meat as well. So it's like a half and half thing. So let's just, let's leave it at that. So I, uh, so I placed an order as best as I could, uh, with the, with the confines that they offer. And then I phoned them and I said, look, that order that just came in, here's what's different about that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Half of that pizza is no cheese. That's right. (laughs) Right. So it's just like, maybe that's our responsibility to just kind of let them know and hopefully they'll fix it. And to be honest with you, I have had such success anytime I've picked up the phone to call any company for any reason at all. Big companies are tough. Right. Like we're, I work for a small company. So if, yeah. if you called me up and said your web form is not processing my order properly, I'll say, okay, one, uh, let's try to get to the bottom of that because I'd love to fix it for you. But also, like, let's take the order over the phone. I'm going to help you with that mm-hmm. and, and get it straightened out for you. But if you have time, let's, let's walk through it on your computer as well because I'd love to fix it. Um, 
but I'm the guy who's programming it. So that's a good opportunity for me. When you call Chipotle or Papa John's or whoever you're calling, Amazon, like you're not talking to the person who's going to fix the bug. Good luck, right? But what, so I mean, with this story though, like it's a programmer who's noticed this flaw. Sorry, your mic just dropped out. Sorry, go ahead. um, Like it's a programmer who noticed this flaw. Mm -hmm. Would the average Joe Public notice a flaw like this? Yes. Well, they'd they just be like, it doesn't, it doesn't work. Yeah, well, but they wouldn't the thing, know they what would, the cause. They would say it, it doesn't work mm-hmm. as opposed to, ooh, there's something wrong with the programming. They just go, They oh. might even think it's something wrong with their computer. Sure, exactly. Mm-hmm. And so they may yeah. not even Turn it off and on again. the yeah. phone and call. Yeah. Who knows? That's eh? interesting, mm-hmm. though. Yeah. Now I am hungry. Oh, man. Your I'm way, so totally. hungry now. <laughs> so hungry now. <laughs> <laughs> Payment card thieves have been ha- have hacked the Click2Gov bill paying portals in eight cities. In 2017 and 2018, hackers compromised systems running the Click2Gov self-service bill payment portal in dozens of cities across the United States. A feat that compromised 300,000 payment cards and generated nearly two million dollars in illicit revenue. Now, Click2Gov systems have been hit by a second wave of attacks that's dumping tens of thousands of records onto the dark web. Researchers with security firm Gemini Advisory said late last week that the new round of attacks began in August and have so far hit systems in eight cities, six of which were compromised in the previous episode. Many of the hacked portals were running fully up-to-date systems, which raises questions about precisely how the attackers were able to breach them. Click2Gov is used by utilities, municipalities, and community-developed organizations to pay bills and parking tickets, as well as make other kinds of transactions. While the breaches affect eight cities located in five states, payment cards belong to to people in all 50 states have been compromised. Some of the cardholders didn't live in the cities that were affected, but transacted with the breached portals, possibly because of past travels to those cities or because holders owned property there. The cities with hacked portals are Bakersfield in California, Pocatello in Idaho, Broken Arrow in Oklahoma, Ames in Indiana, and in Florida, Deerfield Beach, Palm Bay, Milton, and Coral Springs have all been impacted. People who have made transactions to Click2Gov systems should check their payment card statements regularly over the next few weeks. Okay. Wow. We, we want to trust these payment processors. Yeah. Yeah, we want to trust them. That's tough. Uh, the, what's interesting about this one, though, mm-hmm. is the fact that it was on completely up-to-date systems. How does, like, you're a programmer. I'm, I'm not. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just, you know, Joe Blow who likes Linux. How does that happen when you've got an up-to-date system sure. that they can still get that exploit? Does it really mean that it's not fully up-to-date? Not necessarily. I mean, there are exploits that are maybe not revealed in the wild, right? Right, okay. Before Eternal Blue was publicly known, it existed. The That's NSA true. used it. That's mm-hmm. true. Um, so those those exploits existed. They just weren't public, public knowledge. Right. So that's an exploit. But this, to me as the programmer, would point to uh, malicious staff. Right. Quite possibly. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right? Um, a device on the network that's man in the middle. Oh. Something like that could be the case as well. 
You'd be so stuck if you got a parking ticket in Florida sure, on vacation yeah. and you're back here. Mm-hmm. The only way you could really pay that ticket is on the click to gov website. Yeah. And they really force your hand. I mean, my kids are in, in school, in the public school system. And the only way you can order pizza on Pizza Day now, you can't send an envelope with cash like they did when, when we know, were kids. I know. you got to right? do it online. you got to do it online. And the portal is how good, Jeff? I don't know. My wife does it. It's trash. Is it? Okay. Yeah. I mean, sorry to the programmers, but it was probably developed five, seven years ago <sighs> and is still in the state that it was then and hasn't been updated since because the you know it's, it's government funded enough. and yeah. yeah it works no it's yeah. it's garbage and shouldn't be trusted but so i feel like okay this this could easily be exploited i'm sure right who knows right so then what you have one credit card that you keep at a very low balance for things that you think are dodgy which is hey everything? there's a neat idea like, use a we use a, a refillable credit card from like a shopper's drug mart or yeah just something like that Super cheapy throwaway credit card yeah. for, for almost everything online. <laughs> that's that's a good good idea. That's yeah. one way to do it. I mean, it doesn't I mean, fix the the general problem. It doesn't. It's, it's, it's a, it's a no. safety measure. It protects you. The level, problem yeah. still exists, mm-hmm. but now I'm not being impacted. It means that. Sure. Yeah. But how do you know when and who is going to be compromised? Almost everybody. is. <laughs> almost everybody. So if I'm going to order online, I can go to the, the local store where they sell like a, a $50 or $100 Visa card mm-hmm. that I prepay. And then I can use that to make my purchases. And I don't have to worry about identity theft or credit yeah. card theft. Right. Because presumably I'm just going to spend it, everything on that card. Right, exactly. If you have a $50 parking ticket from Florida Mm -hmm. or, you know, Bakersfield, um, then go buy a prepaid credit card and pay your parking ticket with that. That's it. Now, not necessarily directly related to the theme of this news story, but I feel like the last year we've seen a lot of exploits that have impacted government agencies and we talk we've talked a lot about on the news that quite often government just doesn't have the money to have the latest and greatest stuff with an expanding digital economy mm-hmm. and with an ever increasing number of technological people are we going to see a rise in this kind of story where exploits and bugs in the system that we just didn't know were there more people are going to find and it's going to get used maliciously? Or do you think at some point society is going to say enough is enough and there's going to be enough good people rising up to say, I've hacked this, I've found the problem, it's not exploited anymore. <laughs> Here you go, government, I fixed your issue. Oh, wouldn't that be nice? It would nice? be nice if all the hackers were good. First of all, technologiable. That I want to be a word now. <laughs> okay, we're going to, we're going to make Add that into that. one word. Technologible. No, just technologible. Technology. That's one word. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's ours. It's going to be on a t-shirt in a week. Um, I think w- what it really can come down to, Jeff, is it budgets. And, yeah. and it costs probably more to security audit your software than to develop the software. Yeah. Budgets and awareness. Because I know that there is a company yeah. in Barrie that was that was just hit, and it's a company that has a lot of money in their budget. Mm. They just obviously didn't, didn't have it. the foresight, yeah. right? Like never going to happen to me. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's yeah. tough. And I know as a programmer that there's often not the budget to right. Yeah. And if and 
I put my foot down and I do things right. And so I lose contracts sometimes because I do say, look, it's going to cost X number of dollars. Yeah. Because I work into my development that I need to make sure I've done e-commerce solutions where they wanted to be able to store credit card data and stuff. And it's like, you know what? If you're going to do that, that just added ten, fifteen thousand dollars to the price just to audit it and to make sure that everything is irreversibly encrypted in a way that it cannot be compromised. And if it is, the data can't be retrieved. Right. Those are very important things. But a lot of companies, they have a set budget and they say, okay, well, we're going to get this done. Let's make it happen. Here are the features. We are paying for these features. We are not paying for, for, you, for you to dilly-dally. <laughs> and why? No, seriously. Why, why is that going to take 30 hours? Right. That's the question that I get, that, that programmers get. And the, the problem is, is that some programmers will say, you know what? Well, if we, if we just do this, we can do it for less. See, and I feel like that's just making society vulnerable. Oh, it is. There's, that's, yeah. why there's, that's why there's the rise yeah. in these compromising attacks, Jeff. And guess I who is the target? I am so thankful that you have stayed um, so honest and upfront about, about protecting people that you work mm. with. Like, you're not going to let it slide. It's, mm -hmm. it's really good. There needs to be more of you. That's why he's the yeah. number one baldner. That's, that's right. it. That's it. I hope that I always do the right thing. <laughs> All right, jumping over to our next story. Oh, actually, Robbie, we have to take a quick break first. The crypto reports and more of this week's top tech stories are coming up. Don't go anywhere. The German Ministry of the of the interior wants to take back control of their digital sovereignty, cutting dependency on Microsoft and looking for alternatives. I'll call the Federal Ministry of the Interior BMI from here due to the German name of those letters which I won't attempt to pronounce. The headline comes from an official statement where the Federal Ministry of the Interior Horst Seehofer states that, quote, in order to ensure our digital sovereignty, we want to reduce dependencies on individual IT providers. We are also considering alternative programs to replace certain software. This will be done in close coordination with other EU countries, end quote. BMI commissioned a strategic market analysis from consultants PWC, resulting in a paper that was published last month. The paper examines the risks inherent in IT dependency on commercial software vendors with a particular focus on Microsoft because of the heavy use of its products and the way that they are interconnected, especially Microsoft Office, Windows, Windows Server, and Office 365. Oracle and SAP also get a mention with a recommendation for future examination, though PWC's analysts seem less concerned about them because they occupy individual product segments, database and ERP, rather than being pervasive. The current trend toward integrated cloud-based offerings such as Office 365, Dynamics 365, and AI-driven applications on Azure give the customer enhanced value but also increase 
increases lock-in because the added value comes from using them together. The analysts identify several pain points. The first is data security. Telemetry transfers data to Microsoft. The user has limited insight and control over this and it may contain personal data and the report warns that this raises concerns surrounding GDPR. In addition, dependence on cloud services raises the risk of outages or remote deactivation of software licenses. The report also adds that subscription pricing means the potential for uncontrollable costs. It suggests that Microsoft has the power to hoist prices or change the licensing rules. There is also an intriguing claim that using cloud services might may reduce in-house IT competence because the need to support on-premises software is reduced and therefore threaten the federal administration's ability to innovate. Beyond diversifying their software by breaking it up amongst several vendors or negotiating to have control over telemetry data, the recommendation is clear. Build and use more open so source software. The report references several examples, including Munich's largely failed attempt to replace Windows and Office with Linux and OpenOffice subsequently reversed, and the more successful efforts of the French police force to use Linux, LibreOffice, and other open source applications. The report suggests that it is easy to identify advantages in switching away from expensive proprietary software, but often hard to accomplish. They say to be realistic, ensure user acceptance, do the necessary training, and proceed step by step. It's good advice. Yeah. It is. This is an interesting story, though. And the reason I find it interesting is because there's a growing number of countries mm -hmm. that are ditching Microsoft. And as I'm, as I'm listening to you give the story, I'm thinking, Microsoft has to be worried. They should be worried. Because it's not like a company goes, oh, we're switching to Linux. You're losing countries. That's yeah. a big deal. It's interesting, though, because they're centralizing all of their products into the cloud. Yes. And they must realize that, okay, well, we're dealing with foreign countries. And, and if I was a foreign country, I wouldn't want all of that control in an American company. Yeah. Right. And we're talking like, and, and when you're talking about these things being tied in together, it's like, yeah, you actually have to have this, this, and this in order to have this feature. No, I just want that feature. No. I just want, I just want to be able to video conference. Sorry. Well, I need Microsoft Teams now because Skype is dead. Uh, but in order to have Microsoft Teams, I need to have Office 365. And in order... Uh, yeah. So this is the time and this is what it could... Is. What worries me, though, is they're looking at the cloud. Yeah. As a country, would that not be a potential security risk by having your country's data hosted potentially out of country or A, on a private business server that mm -hmm. you have no control of. Like, imagine if, say, you know, we're in, in Ontario, the city of Toronto. Say they decided to move entirely cloud-based mm -hmm. and all of their financial records, everything went to the cloud and suddenly the company gets bought out by a multinational that goes, screw you! We've got all your data. Mm -hmm. Take us to court for it. Like, mm -hmm. wow, I yeah. don't know if a country should be going that Like, if you're going to go <laughs> cloud-based, do it in internal cloud that you own. Yeah. It's really, really tough. I mean, this is the, this is the dilemma that we're all up against. Mm -hmm. Every business is up against this. Where do I put my off-site backup? 
Yeah. And this is why I lean toward offering, as an IT specialist, offering cloud-based services that are hosted here in Canada. Yeah. Because Canadian companies want encrypted data in Canada because of our privacy laws. Makes so, sense. Yeah. And, and we don't want them to be hosted in the States here from here in Canada. We don't want them to be hosted in overseas. And, and similarly, I would expect Germany probably doesn't want all of their stuff, as you're saying, to be hosted on American servers or possibly um, random locations because, you know, Microsoft has co-location facilities all over the world. Yeah. No. I, I like how other countries um, talk about Linux so much. It's like, the out. It's like the, this is our redeemer yeah. as far as software it seems to be Europe. tie-ins go. Europe does it. Why aren't they talking about cash? <laughs> <laughs> because canonical is in the UK, I guess. Yeah. I, I guess, yeah. <laughs> but it's growing, right? Like it's commonplace. People know it by yeah. by name, and people who aren't tech minded know Linux. You know, you say it, they sure. don't say what. You know. But the, but there's still that. They still say, oh, that's oh well, that's hard. scary. Yeah. They, and this is what happened in Munich. Where maybe, and maybe this is a case, I don't really know, but here's a scenario. We talked about software and why, does, why do people still get compromised? Well, what if we took a, co a country or a city and we decided to let's switch everybody to Linux, mm -hmm. but then let's not budget to support those users? It's really crucial that we're providing high-level support because if I switch you, if I take away your Microsoft Office and put you on open office, not even LibreOffice, but open office, it's right? Yeah. You're going to have trouble. Yeah. Especially when you send an ODT file to your friend who has Microsoft Word. They can't open a thing. Yeah. But with proper adequate support, and I mean like pay somebody to to do proper support of these free software products. So take those savings and invest it in training and support. Would that not make the difference? Potentially. Yeah. But yes. a lot of people don't think that way. They look for the, how do we switch our software? And they don't how do we save money? Software. Yeah. Oh, well, cut Microsoft. But see, this is the thing. I, as a, secure, as a professional in the IT field, have to put my foot down and say, you're not going to have that web service unless we invest in the security end of it. Mm -hmm. You're not going to be able to switch to LibreOffice or Linux or OpenOffice unless you invest in the support to support your users because otherwise it's just going to backfire mm -hmm. so like let's put the money in the right place it's got to happen that way it's happening it's just yeah you know stories like this make me happy because it, it means that people are looking in the right direction yes see i'm thinking munich but no we're thinking germany and this is the, the this is the direction that we're going yeah. yes so I hope if anyone from that government is listening, hey, here's what you need to do. Invest in the support of that free software. The software is free. It's going to save you money. So invest in the support. And this goes for your company. This goes for, your, like, for anyone who's thinking about switching to open technology. I really hope Cat5 shows up on a government report in Germany that says, yes, we got the proper advice. <laughs> that was this, this bald nerd said this. That's a terrible so, accent. I don't, even, I don't even know where I, I was from. Oh, was yeah, that's a, I, the IT guy is French. I don't know. I'm Canadian. We have English and French, and I don't know. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> it's definitely not German. Oh. 
An anonymous bug hunter has publicly disclosed a zero-day flaw in the popular vBulletin forum software that can be exploited over the internet to hijack servers. A simple HTTP POST request can be abused by an attacker to remotely execute commands on the targeted vBulletin server without any authentication. That would allow hackers to commandeer web servers powering the forum software, steal data, tamper with information, launch assaults on other systems, and so on. It can be done in fewer than 20 lines of Python code. This is a very, very bad thing. The zero-day exploit code is verified to work against supported versions of vBulletin from 5.0.0 to the latest 5.5.4 build. And there is no known patch available. And the creators of vBulletin have yet to comment on when one might be released. Meanwhile, security professionals are marveling at the simplicity of the exploit and how and the extent to which vulnerable boards can be owned by the attack. VBulletin's customer base includes a number of large companies, sports teams, and entertainment groups that are now exposed until such time as the developer can figure out a fix, and that's assuming their server admins are on top of patching. Websites running vBulletin version 5, first released in 2012, are advised to keep a close eye on their servers and make sure nobody is attempting to exploit the vulnerability and use it as a springboard for further attacks. Better yet, maybe just pull the plug completely until a fix is released or some type of mitigation is available. Mm-hmm. By mitigation, I'm thinking like maybe like if you're if you're wise to the methodology that they're using to exploit vBulletin, you could create like an HT access rule, for example, that would monitor for a particular string and redirect to a file, and that file logs the IP address of the user, and then you use maybe CSF to uh, config secure firewall to block that IP address in your firewall. For example, right? So mitigation could take place if you know the string that they're using. And I do this with WordPress all the time. So I watch for like injection attacks and things like that. And if they happen, or, or somebody hitting wp-login.php, well, you know, if it's not coming from my IP address, it's a malicious user because they're trying to access the WordPress login form. And, and so I just, you know, I can block their IP address based on that, yeah. right? So, but yeah, scary stuff, man. Imagine if you've got this service running on your web server and a hacker, an attacker, like a script kitty, this is like anybody that knows about this exploit can just run anything on your server with a couple of lines of code. Yeah. As as easy as just a uh, post request. Now, I mean, Sasha, you you said that we were talking sports teams as well have this on the websites. Yeah. Like, do they take their sites down? You kind of have to if you don't. This, again, comes down to, like, we build a website and we don't have anyone actually actively supporting it. This is the fear is that, well, you mentioned, well, if your team is up on, up on all the patches, then, you know, watch for the patch. But what if you have a vBulletin website and a forum and you don't have an active team Mm-hmm. monitoring and maintaining that website, which is very often the case with these kinds of sites. Right. Sports teams included. Yeah. I hope that they I hope that they step up and really figure it out. Yeah. So what can this kind of exploit do? Well well my my forum isn't really all that important. So I mean if they hack it, whatever. 
Except that it can't they just get in using that? Yeah. And then, yeah. Yeah. How does ransomware spread? Yeah. So, uh, well, through <laughs> the, uh, yeah, we just need an in. We just need a way into your network. So if I have a server running this and it's on my network, then they can use that to now encrypt all the files on your other computers, okay? If it's not on your network and it's just a hosted service somewhere, maybe you're using like a co-located server or something, well, you can, the data can be stolen. All the data, all the logins, all the credit card information of the people that are signed up to your sports teams and any, anything that's on the server can be taken or encrypted and used as ransom. And if they don't have any like hashing on passwords and stuff like that, like... Which some of these old software programs wouldn't. don't. Yeah. yeah. Like M- MD5. Yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, the fact that, you know, some of the versions go back to 2012. Like, yeah. I'm thinking, how many people are still running a site, you know, a little sure. company site that they put up, yeah. you know, five, six years and, ago? And if it's active, and they, they, don't can't, wanna... they can't just replace it. They've well, got exactly. a thousand users. Exactly. So now, like, you're potentially giving up all their unhashed passwords. Oh, my. Like, come on. Yeah. This is just bad news waiting to happen. Yeah. Uh, so if you're using and 5... Any line of VBulletin 5, please, like, just, you know what, remove it from your server. Turn off that website, whatever you need to do for now, until there is a report from the VBulletin developers that, hey, they're, they're doing something and it's patched or fixed and you can actually patch it. Yeah. Uh, we've got to quickly take a look at the CoinGecko uh, crypto market report. Um, now, we didn't do one last week because we had a, we- a down week because of the transition from Season 12 to Season 13. And uh, so this is over the past two weeks, we've seen pretty much everything drop. Right. Now, there is one coin that is holding steady. Oh. And that is Facebook Libra. Yes. Still zero. 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 Uh, But here is what the market looked like. Uh, At 1,800 hours Eastern Time on Wednesday, September 25th, 2019, Bitcoin dropped almost 2,000 U.S. dollars in the past two weeks. $8,623.87 is where it's holding as of this recording. Uh, Litecoin is down to $57.99 U.S. Ethereum is not dropping too much, only a couple of bucks, but $172.23 U.S. Monero is down to $60.46. I don't know what causes things to go up and down. That's what's interesting about the cryptocurrency market. You never really know what's going to happen, so hey, be careful. Scala, previously known as Torque or Stellite, is cut in half. So where it was 0.66 ten thousandths of a cent, it is now 0.33 They should just revert back to the name they, they just, were the strongest. Yeah, okay. maybe they just Tor- need to rename their coin. I was going to say, we did talk about that a couple of weeks ago. I wondered if. Switching their names is probably ruining some, like... Some faith some of yeah. the in the cred. coin. I mean, and I <laughs> think sure. you're seeing it. I think so. Uh, Turtle Coin is also losing, though, Jeff. It's down to point two four ten thousandths of a cent. That's a big drop. It, well, not as much. I mean, it was point three nine two weeks ago, but it's still sizable. That's like, what, 40%? That's, well, that's, yeah, point point one five ten thousandths of a cent is don't, the drop. So. Don't worry, Turtle Coin. Yeah, Everybody's down right now. Yeah, every, everything's body. everything's going down. So really the point when you see the trend like that over the past two weeks is just to remember that if you're going to invest, if you're going to um, crypto mine, if you're going to be a part of the cryptocurrency marketplace, just make sure that you only invest what you can afford to lose because right. there is a very high potential that you could lose, but there's still a potential that you could gain as well. So just make sure that you know that it is volatile. It's very dangerous to invest in. Um, so don't invest if you can't afford to lose it. And uh, just remember that it's always changing. It never 
never closes. So 24-7, the market goes up and down, and uh, right. you have no way to really tell <laughs> yeah. exactly what's yeah. going on. Yeah. Big thanks to Roy W. Nash and our community of viewers for submitting stories to us this week. Thanks for watching the Category5.tv newsroom. Don't forget to like and subscribe for all your tech news with a slight Linux bias. And for more free content, be sure to check out our website. From the Category5.tv newsroom, I'm Sasha Rickman. And I'm Robbie Ferguson. And I'm Jeff Weston. We've got to take a really quick break, folks. Stick around. Well, there we have it. That's our first episode of season 13. Get I hope back. you've all had a great time. I hope you've had fun. Who's who's it for? Who's it for? Was, I got like five of them. Wow. Nice. Wow. <laughs> I got three fake It's really awkward real. around here, folks. But, hey, next week we have a fantastic show for, uh, planned for you. Amy Double D is going to be joining us. She's going to – well, she is a world-famous maker. Yeah. Uh, I mean, she has hacked the Tesla car. She's a body hacker. She does some really cool stuff. Very cool stuff. And she's going to be joining us here on Category 5 Technology TV to tell us, you know, what inspires her and uh, what kind of cool hacks she's been up to. Uh, so you definitely want to be here uh, with us next week. Don't miss the show. Uh, in the meantime, uh, don't forget that we are on Twitter at Category5TV. I personally am on Twitter as well, at Robbie Ferguson, if you want to follow me, and I do follow back. Uh, we're on YouTube as Category5 Technology TV. We've also got one called Linux Tech Show. Look that up. Um, Linux Tech Show is like individual little snippets um, that are a lot shorter, so you can just catch like a 20-minute clip here and there, right. catch the newsroom, things like that, versus Category 5 Technology TV, right. which is the full one to one and a half hour show like every having, week. It's like having a snack versus a big meal. Yeah, but right? subscribe like, to both, yes. because then you're going to get the best of both worlds. You might watch the full show and say, oh, that would be a really great clip to send to my friend whoever. And so then you grab it off of Linux Tech Show, and they don't have to watch the full show. Right. They can just watch that clip. Um, do keep in mind as well, we're on uh, Plex and Cody. Um, you can get those through our GitHub page, which is Cat. 5 TV and of course our main website brings everything together including RSS feeds and like Google podcasts and everything else Some at category5.tv that's all the time that we have for this week though folks I hope you've enjoyed the show and I look forward to seeing you again next week take care bye